Well, good to be with you guys. Love you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me practice. So, uh, hey, just want to make sure you're aware that Reality Ventura is joining with us. So let's send a lot of love to Reality Ventura right now. You guys, love you. Well, uh, we're jumping right in. So why don't you uh, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 6, 1 through 8 is our text this morning. Uh, we're continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going on. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, you guys there? You're there. Okay, good. Let me read it for us this morning. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 3. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you that this is your word. And we have it. And you've preserved it for us. And you've gathered us here this morning that you might speak it to us and reveal yourself to us through it. And God, we pray that you would give us understanding, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you have for us this morning. That you would truly allow the word of God to read us and speak to us and convict us and encourage us and spur us on. And so God, we ask that you would have your way. You are the good shepherd and you know exactly where all of us are at. And we need you, God. We need you this morning. We need your word to instruct us the way in which we should go. We thank you that your word is living and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it's profitable for teaching and correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Pray that you have your way with us this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well... As you may know, much of the world around us, uh, we live for others. Uh, A big example of this would be social media, Facebook, Instagram. What else is there? Snapchat, Twitter. What else is there? Everything. Pinterest, whatever. But much of the world of social media is uh, for other people, right? How many likes did I get? How many people are following me? You know, we post, most of the time you look at what people post and it's only the real good stuff. Tells a a good story, but then you really know the person. You're like, that is not your story of your life. What are you doing? You know, you know that. Um, But, but the truth is much of the, you know, the world of social media is living 
for others. Much of our, much of our life does that. We, we, whether we like it or not, we're, we're, in some sense, living for other people and what they think. And the question is, since that's kind of like what we do and that's just kind of who we are in the culture and good or bad, that's us. question is, should we do that with our Christianity, with, with our Christian practices, with things that the Lord tells us to do in community amongst people? Should we do that? Should we live for Christ to be noticed by others? Well, the quick answer is no. Jesus says, no, we should not live with the same mentality as Instagram or Facebook. We should not live with the motivation and intent to please others. That's, this is our text this morning. And what Jesus is doing is he is expanding on how it is that we're to live in the kingdom of God. That's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We've been studying this. How, as Christians, as believers, ought we live? How should we do these things? And this morning, Jesus specifically is talking about Christian practices. Not just these generalizations about our character, but but really how we pray and how we give. And later on in this chapter, how we fast. But it goes into everything from serving and witnessing and all the areas that we would call Christian practices. Jesus is highlighting this morning. He's, 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 he's adding on to this idea of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live for him, what characteristics and things should mark the way in which we live for Christ. And we see a contrast here in these verses this morning. We see a contrast of, of what we ought to live like and what we ought not to live like. And he, Jesus brings up the idea of, well, we're not supposed to live like the hypocrites, which would be the Pharisees in those days. And what they would do is they would practice their righteousness or they would exhibit Christian practices in a self-serving, self-exalting way in the synagogues and on the streets. He he brings up the the arena in which they are doing this a few times. The synagogues being being the religious institutions where people would, would travel from near and far to come and read scripture and worship God. This was the center of religious activity. Synagogues and obviously the temple. Also, it says that they were doing this along the streets. Why that's significant is the streets where people were. This is where they were walking. This is where they were doing business. This is where the markets were. A lot of people were there. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, do not practice these things in these arena to be noticed by the people around you. That's what he's saying here this morning. What's extremely important, though, is that we understand uh, that we still are supposed to do these things. Because sometimes we do that. We're like, hey, you know what? It's just... Even prayer and giving and fasting, it just seems like it's too complicated and I always get it wrong. So you know what? I'm just not going to do it anymore. God still loves me. I'm going to do it. No, that is not what we should do and that's not what the text is telling us this morning. We may think so, but these things, being generous and spirit-filled, praying people is what the church is supposed to be marked by. Can I get an amen? 
Unconditional love and generous giving and us on our knees before the Father in prayer is what's supposed to mark us. The point this morning isn't whether we're supposed to do those things or not. We are. The point is to be careful and aware of how and why we are practicing those things in relation to giving and praying and fasting and serving the Lord. Christian practices. Really, the the root of the issue today is, is our motives and our intentions and the reasons why we do the things we do for Christ. Jesus has done this throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and he will continue to. He continues to go to the root of the issue. You know, even with the subject of adultery. Many of us, you know, as we read the text, we think, oh, well, adultery is when you, you know, you you sleep with someone that's not your spouse. Jesus says it's more than that. Adultery is any time you even think lustfully about someone that's not your spouse. He raises the bar. He confronts the the root issue, our heart and our thoughts, and, and, and what's really at the root of the problem. Not so much the action, but what causes the action. This is what our text is about this morning. It's about our motives and our intentions. And verse 1 gives us a really good benchmark. It gives us a really good place to really line our lives up to in in any area. Because it says this, verse 1 of Matthew 6. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness, or beware of when you practice Christian practices, before men to be noticed by them. Take heed of that. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The idea of being doing something for for, for others rather than for Christ is really the test for all areas of our walks and our relationships with the Lord. See, when we're living for Jesus, when we're obeying his words, when we're living out his will, when we're involved with Christian practices like praying and giving and fasting and witnessing and serving. I mean, all these wonderful, amazing, holy things that is supposed to be, supposed to be between us and God. The question when we are doing these things to test our motives, to test our intentions, is exactly what verse 1 says. Are we doing these things? Add a word in there. Are we praying? Or when I'm giving right now, or when I'm fasting, or when I'm witnessing, or when I'm serving the Lord right now, am I doing these things merely to be noticed by men? Or another question would be, when we serve, or when we pray, or when we give, are we hoping that we receive recognition or praise from men? Because I'll be honest, uh, maybe you're like me in that it's easy to justify our actions. It's easy to, to downplay how bad our motives may be. You know, we, we may go, well, you know, I'm doing this for this, but yeah, that might also be the reason, but the real reason is this. Or maybe we're not justifying our motives, but, we're, but, but they're just subtle. They may not be bl- as blatant as, you know, this, this horrific intention that we want it to be all about us. And, you know, we're not even really praying for, for God or for anybody else. It's all about us. And we just want people to see us and think that we're holy and think that we're doing it right and being good Christians. And, 
It may just be more subtle than that. And that, and that's, that gets tricky because if we, if we really examine our own hearts, we can see these little, these little air, these subtle areas where we're not quite entirely doing things for Jesus. Good, godly, righteous Christian practices. Uh, an easy example would be serving in the church or serving around other Christians. And if a pastor or someone else tells you to do something, uh, you got to check the way in which you do it. I know that when I was first starting to serve in the church, there was this tendency where someone, you know, asked you to do something like, hey, stack chairs here and bring them over there. You'd be like, okay, let me stack the most chairs. And let me walk by the pastor. Hey, this is, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing good. Or you know what? I could go through that door, but what if I go through that door because I might see more people and they might see me carrying these chairs. And they might think this other way. I know that's a silly example. But, but, but you get my, my picture. We do it very subtly. If you asked us, hey, are you, are you praying right now? Or when you gave the other week, were you doing that like for Jesus? You're like, sure, of course I was doing it for Jesus. But if we're really true and honest with ourselves, what were we doing it for? What were we doing it for? That is, that is the gist of what's happening here today. But what I want to do is I want to I kind of caveat that with what we've been learning the last few weeks in the book of Matthew chapter 5. Because Jesus says something different, and it can be confusing maybe. So in this text this morning, Jesus is saying, don't do things to be noticed by them. Be careful of, of practicing your Christianity in front of people. Be aware, be concerned of what your heart is doing, of your motives and your intentions. Well, in Matthew five sixteen, he actually says kind of the opposite. He says, let your light shine before men so they might see your good works, so they might glorify your Father who's in heaven. Jesus is telling us there, please be a Christian in front of people. In front of a lot of people. Be a witness, be a light. Pray and give and be generous and be unconditional in front of people. At a quick reading, you're like, what I don't understand what you're saying. Jesus, you're just commanding us to do this, and now you're saying, don't do this. What are you saying? Well, here's the point. The point of that is God. <laughs> is that others would see Christ in us and that they might glorify God because of how we're living for Jesus. We're actually only the conduit or the, the tool in the master's hands, so to speak. We're just reflecting the light of the sun, if you want to put it that way. The goal of that text and what we should endeavor to do as believers is to live for Jesus in such a way that we do testify of his goodness and people around us know that we love Jesus. People should know that we love Jesus. I don't know if you know that. People should know that by our deeds, by our generosity and our unconditional love and our sacrificial love and the way in which we act and interact and react to people in this world. People should know that. But the warning in our text this morning is that if we are making these Christian practices about ourselves and we're doing it to give ourselves attention, that's where the error comes in. That's where we've, we've incorrectly lived for Christ. That's where we've kind of missed the mark because no longer is Jesus the goal. 
We might say that, but if we're looking for the praise and the recognition and the attention of others when we give and when we pray and when we do all these Christian practices, then, then really we're doing it for ourselves or we're doing it for our own reputation or we're doing it for uh, our, someone else's opinion of us, but we're really not doing it for Jesus anymore. And that's where it gets scary. That's where it gets real. That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road for us this morning. See, as humans, uh, unfortunately, we have the proclivity to usurp the place of God, making ourselves the center of the story. Anybody attest to this? We have this proclivity, and it's just so hard to beat it, but we, we try to make everything about us that the world surrounds us. But there's a newsflash. The story isn't about us. We're not the hero. We're not the star. Jesus is. He's the reason why we're here. He's the reason why we pray and give. And he's the reason why we fast. He is the reason why we do all these things. Because if you remember, the entirety of the Sermon of the Mount is instructing us how to live in light of God saving us. It's by his grace that we're saved, not of our own works, so that none of us would boast, right? But it's out of his grace, by faith, that we're saved. And we're his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, so that we might walk in them. See, we're not saved by these works, we're saved for these works. Jesus did all the work. He's the, he's the main star. He's the hero. It's about him. Can I get an amen? When our motives and our intentions drift, when we're seeking the recognition and the praise of others as, as our motivation and intent to serve the Lord, then we've missed the mark. Then we've made it not about Jesus. We've made it about us. I love how uh, the book of Hebrews describes Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 in the New Living Translation says, Jesus is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's the one that started it. He's the one that died on the cross and ransomed us from our sins. And he's the one that continually is sanctifying us and making us more like him. It's about him and for his glory. And in this section of scripture, there's, there's two specific areas that's addre- that are addressed. One is giving and one is praying. I want you to read with me again verses 2 through 4 of Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Jesus speaking says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that you may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What I want you to pay close attention to is the contrast here. The first person that's giving is literally sounding a trumpet. You ever heard of the uh, phrase, toot your own horn? Look at what's happening here. Jesus is bringing it up. Don't be the type of person that toots your own horn, is what Jesus is saying. And this is what I mean by that, in the area of giving. It's not going, hey, look at me, everyone, what I just did. Did you hear how much I tied last week? 
You know that orphanage in Thailand? Me. No God in me, but me still. Or, 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 or it's, you know, having this attitude of, man, look at, look at how much I gave to that person. And we start comparing ourselves to other people and how much they didn't give. We have this self-righteous mentality of, aren't I cool? Aren't I holy? Look at how much I've sacrificed. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't be like those that give and sound a trumpet when you're doing so. But when you give, the analogy he gives here, when you give, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. I mean, think about that. He's saying, not only should you not toot your own horn and make it all about you and tell people what you've done, but he's saying, keep it to yourself. Give unto the Lord. Give, Jesus says. But when we do so, we're to forget ourselves, and we're for, to forget the others even around us that we're giving to. We're to keep it in between ourselves and the Lord and do it as unto the Lord. When it comes to the area of giving, and not just monetarily, it could be time, it could be resources, it could just be your life and you spending time with people, you give, give something of yourself. There needs to be a singleness in heart that needs to be there. At the end of the day, when you give anything to anyone, the goal, the desire, is that we would do it unto the Lord. And don't get me wrong, the Lord gives us hearts for people. He gives us compassion for people in their distress. And God gives us resources to meet their needs, and that's okay, and that's right. But at the end of the day, when we give time, talent, resource, it needs to be unconditionally to the Lord without the hope or want of recognition or praise from that person or from anyone. I love how uh, Martin Luther put this. He says it this way in the area of giving. It's about singleness of heart, which means that the heart is not ostentatious or desirous of gaining honor and reputation from it, but is moved to contribute freely regardless of whether it makes an impression and gains the praise of the people or whether everyone despises and profanes it. I love that. He's like, you know, when you give, you need to give to the Lord and whatever happens, happens because it's not about the, the reaction. It's not about what happens or not. It's not about if someone gives you a compliment or not or you receive recognition. It's about you and Jesus when you give. Jesus continues on in verses five through eight and he says this, if you want to follow along with me, he says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is saying, pray here. The charge is pray. He says, when you pray, pray this way. And what he's saying is, he says, when you pray, pray with sincerity. Pray with genuineness. What he also is saying here is, he says, pray with devotion. 
Let it be between you and the Lord when you pray. Even if there's others around you, pray with devotion unto Christ for the things in which you're asking. Pray with commitment. Be committed to the cause of Christ. Be be committed to praying his will, regardless of what is happening around you. And pray with a single-minded focus. You know, next week, Pastor Britt will run us through uh, the study of, of the Lord's Prayer, the next section of Scripture here. And we'll learn a lot more about how in which we are to pray. But the potent message that we need to see in these verses this morning is that God is looking at our hearts and not at our words or our outward actions, specifically when it comes to the area of prayer. And I don't know about you, but if you're fearful to pray out loud in front of people, I was for maybe a couple years when I first got saved. Just you're fearful of, you know, saying the wrong thing or not knowing how to pray. What's so comforting about this text this morning is that God doesn't actually care. God doesn't actually care about the certain words that come out of your mouth. What he's caring about is the posture of your heart as you pray. See, God isn't looking for the loud, ostentation, eloquent, passionate prayers. I mean, if they're sincere, yes, because who, who doesn't want a little fire in the prayer meeting, right? Who doesn't want those passionate people going for it? But, but we need to be doing it in a genuine, sincere, committed, single-minded way where we're, where we're passionately crying out to the Lord. What God is searching for when we're praying to him, whether it be in our closet, like it speaks of here, whether it's at home, alone, or, or somewhere where there's no one around us, or we're in a prayer meeting, right, on Tuesday mornings or Sunday, Sunday mornings when we're praying amongst people. What he's searching for is for us to pray with earnest for him to move and to save and to come and to redeem. And really, when we're praying, we're supposed to care about who we're praying to, not about the people next to us. That's the point. I mean, and it seems so simple, but, but obvious it's, obviously it's important enough that Jesus would highlight it, and I think if you're sitting in this room this morning, you can resonate with this. Even these good, wonderful, godly, holy Christian practices that are so wonderful and intimate and that are supposed to be only between us and the Lord, we distort. And unfortunately, this, this truth is as potent to us today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount. We have a selfish, independent, sinful nature that just wants to make it all about us. We want the glory. We want the credit. We, want, we desire the praise. But can we just for the record say that Jesus deserves the praise? He deserves the credit. He deserves the glory. We don't. Who died on the cross? Not us. Jesus did. Who redeemed us from our sins? Jesus. Who washed us as white as snow? Jesus. Where are we in that story? We're just the recipient of an elaborate love. Church, it's got to be about Jesus. And instead of making it about us, we need to make it about him. Even in the righteous, wonderful, amazing things that he allows us to do, like pray and fast and serve and give. Instead, our posture of our walk should be like 1 Peter 4.11. It says this, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified 
through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Knowing these truths, there's actually a, uh, a simple test of motives. I know it's not a fun one. Not a fun one. I took this test, didn't do well on it. There's a, sim- there's a couple questions that we can ask ourselves because, again, sometimes, like I said, it's hard to know our motives. Uh, they're clouded. We justify them. They're subtle. Here's a couple questions that I want to ask us. I've already done this, and, uh, but I'll ask myself again. The first sign or a test of a person having a motivation problem is grumbling when his or her actions aren't noticed or congratulated. Yeah. Maybe like eight times yesterday. Number two, the second sign that can test our motives is envy and jealousy when others gain credit and they don't, especially when we're doing the same thing. Right? When just someone just is gaining recognition and praise and we did the same thing, maybe we even did something better. In our minds, we think it's better. We, st- we start envy, you know, have envy and jealousy in our hearts. A third sign to test our, our motives is irritation or volatile emotions when one doesn't get one's wishes. Right? We have these expectations of what we deserve and what we should get and the compliments or the praise that we should get or what people should think of us. You know, a lot of times we have great expectations of what others should think of us. Right? We, we get so twisted sometimes. And a fourth sign of mismanaged motivations is counting heads or numbers when one is asked to do a religious deed. And, and, and unfortunately, this happens. This, this happens. You know, I, I asked someone, you know, to, to do something in the church or like, hey, we need help with this. And someone's like, well, how many people are there? And I'm like, never mind. I'll ask someone else. Never mind. Never mind. Or, hey, come to the prayer meeting, like, like, it's Tuesday morning, it's awesome, we're praying, we're seeking the Father on behalf of the church and the community, we're crying out before God. Well, I wonder if so, is, is it so-and-so come to the prayer meeting? You're like, what kind of question is that? Come pray with Jesus, with us, now, let's go. But so often, we're off. So often, our hearts are, are, are desperately wicked, and the charge for us this morning is that we would examine our hearts, we'd examine our motives when we're practicing these things, when we're praying and when we're giving and when we're loving and we're serving, we need to be asking ourselves, is, are, we, are, we, are we living to please others and gain their approval or are we living unto the Lord? And you know, you know what's cool about this message? I think all of us can say, yeah, I have ill motives in one way or another. You know, sometimes I think we can hear a message and go, not for me, I'm pretty good there. But when it comes to these deep heart issues, even when it comes to Christian practices, I think one way or another we can go, you know what, that one time, oh yeah, I, I, I wasn't really for Jesus. Or, or, or as we really think about it and dig down and we, and we, we think about why it is in, that, we're, that, we're, that we're giving the way we do or praying the way we do or serving the Lord or loving that person or when we really think about it, I think we can be in, in the same boat and go, wow, I'm really convicted right now. Like, I'm really missing the mark right now, Lord. Because I, I know, like, in, in hearing this, you, you can feel that. And, and there's a right sense to that, right? That the Holy Spirit convicts us. But what Jesus doesn't want us to do is just walk out the door just feeling condemned and just, you know, I did miss the mark again and I'm not doing right. Even when it comes to prayer and giving and things inside the church, I can't even do it. How am I even going to do the rest of life? But here's the good news. <laughs> here's the wonderful news of the gospel. 
is that God redeems and he restores our hearts. That he can change our motives and our desires and he can replace them with his heart and his desire. And he gives us a new heart. You know why this is, uh, why the truth of the gospel is hopeful when it comes to even the wickedness of our heart? You know the reason why we, we just don't need to care about what people think? Or be insecure about it? Because a lot of times insecurity is, is the root of really caring about what other people think, right? We're just insecure of who we are and what people think of us. And so in an attempt to do that, we, we do all these things. We try to get praise. We try to get compliments. We try to get recognition. But the beauty of the gospel is that we're secure in Christ. We've been accepted. We've been bought with a price. We're already adored. We're already loved. We're already good. We completely loved, we're completely accepted, we're completely adored, and we have a new identity once we're saved. Once we've been transformed, once we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred from, to, the, to the kingdom of light, once we become new creations, born again, whatever you want to say, once we're saved, we have a new identity. And we're accepted, and we're loved. And you know what that does? It frees us from being it frees us from needing any acceptance or applauded or being applauded by man. It really does. When we can truly s- sit and accept the fact that we are completely accepted, adored, and loved by God, it frees us from needing acceptance and recognition and praise from others. It frees us from the need to be noticed by men. Amen. And the last thing I'll bring up is this idea of reward. Five times in these eight verses, Jesus talks about reward. And he says, if you give and pray this way, well, then you're not going to receive a reward from your Father in heaven. But if you give and pray this way, you will receive a reward. This is pretty significant. Five times in eight verses, he brings this idea of reward up. And to be honest, I don't really know what the idea of reward is or what that means or when you get it or is it only in heaven or is it now being blessed in some way? I don't think that's really the point. If Jesus is rewarding you, it's going to be good. Like think of who is rewarding you or giving you treasure of any sort, right? God. God, all-powerful, all-knowing, knows your deepest, darkest, everything about you, is intimately acquainted with all your ways, and loves you more than anyone else will ever love you ever. Reward, please come to me from this person. It's God. And let's be honest. That, whatever God gives us, or however, how he, however he rewards us in this context, is going to be far better than whatever we can get from someone else in praise and recognition. It's going to be far better than any compliment, far better than anyone's opinion of you. God's reward is going to be that much better. It's going to be lasting. It's going to be eternal. It's going to be truth. What I want to do this morning is I want to end with a poem by a famous British missionary His name is C.T. Studd. Can't go wrong with that name. Kind of destined for you have to be amazing. C.T. Studd, uh, British missionary to China, uh, wrote this poem. Ties in exactly what we've been studying this morning. It says this. 
Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one's life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, this still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When the bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when life would seek to have its way, then Lord, help me with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true, what ear this strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love and fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, leaving for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Church, let's be a people that do things for the glory of God in his namesake alone. And as 1 Corinthians would say, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. But we most of all thank you, Lord, that in moments like this when we're confronted with our wickedness, in our ill motives, in our ill intent, thank you that you don't shun us and push us away, but you draw us near as a father does to his child. Thank you, Lord, that you desire for us to come and repent and surrender before you that we might be healed and set free and given your heart in your mind, in your motives, in your intent. God, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit that gives us the strength to live these things out, that we do not do it on our own strength, but out of the strength that you provide. And so, God, would you meet us here in this time of worship? We ask that we would commune with you, we would meet with you, we would surrender our lives to you this morning, and that you would make us more like you cry of our hearts is that we would honor and obey and love you with our actions and our deeds, Father, because we love because you first loved us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. I want to encourage you right now to, to make the most of this time as we sing a few more songs. Since we're all in the same boat, we all need Jesus this morning.
We all need to come before him and, and surrender our, our ill intent and our ill motives, but to receive his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness in those new motives and those new intentions in our lives. I want to remind you that the prayer team is to the right or to the left. They want to pray with you, speak with you, encourage you, as well as uh, we have communion up here to remember Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that his body was broken and his blood was spilled. And just remember, you can freely come up here and get on your faces on the carpet and lay before the Lord and just be real with him this morning. Amen.